The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only. They're not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Today, we're going to talk about anti-nutrients. Anti-nutrients? I think we should talk about table manners. Uh, you want me to do a certain lunch break, so I mean, what do you want me to do? The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. We should have started with a trigger warning for all of those with misophonia. True, but what about those people with AMSR, the people who love different sounds? They're all over that beginning. I guess we're going to get the feedback. Probably want more chewing. Let me take a step before we get going here. Oh, my God. Hello! Hi, Michael Chapman. Fatty How divers. are you? I'm, I'm hungry. How are you? <laughs> Apparently. I'm doing great. Awesome. Not as hungry. Okay. Well, this is a show. Uh-huh. It's called The Lab Report. It's brought to you by Genova Diagnostics. Thank you, Genova Diagnostics. Hmm. Oh, it's a show where we talk about things like specialty lab testing, integrative therapeutics, functional specialty, precision, personalized medicine, wow. and the like. Yeah. If you know, you know. If you're here... And you're brand new. Welcome. If you're returning, you know, thank you, know. you so much. And I hope everyone has at least visited iTunes or Spotify. Maybe hit the follow slash, slash subscribe button, left us some stars. Smack those buttons. Hit them all. Um, and if you have feedback about stuff mm-hmm. and you don't want to put it on public display, like on the comment section yeah. of, you know, the I iTunes and stuff that. like that. I get you know, that. you don't you want to be more anonymous and you're just like, hey, guys. I have an idea about how you guys could be better. Then you can send that feedback to podcast at gdx.net. You can also submit your questions of the day there. You can. We love the email. So thank you to everyone who reaches out, takes the time to actually send us an email like that. And if you're a patient and you're interested in Genova testing, you can order directly at connect.gdx.net. And there we can also connect you with a Genova client to guide your healthcare. That's pretty cool. Yeah, super cool. Yeah. Um, so... Obviously, we've got a lot of stuff going on here, Genova Diagnostics. There's a lot. Right? There's a lot of new, exciting things happening. It's been pretty crazy. It's been a busy year too. We've got a lot done. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so much more to come. I mean, stay look tuned. Out 2023. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? And as it relates to the podcast, momentum is growing. Talking about you, Winnipeg, number one in health and wellness wow. in the Winnipeg market, <laughs> and getting even bigger in Syracuse. That's right. So. That's right. But I guess wherever you live and wherever you are currently listening to the podcast, most of us eat food. And I think nutrition is a cornerstone of what we do here. But today we're talking about something called the anti-nutrient. Yeah. This is a hard topic. This is Hmm. just, I get palpitations just getting into this topic because like so many things when it comes to diet and eating and food, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we can't, we can't agree on anything. I mean, we just like, we have to disagree we yeah. could be like, hey, food's good. It's like, what are you talking about? Food's terrible. I'm for nutrients. Nope, I'm anti-nutrients. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> the nutrients are it's killing stupid. you. So, I don't know. This is, this is going to be interesting because they're, like anything, There's there's been a lot of fervor. A lot of fervor, a lot of talk. A yep. lot of um, conflicting opinions on this topic, like so many other things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, like all things, here's what we do at the lab report. We try to, we try to get to brass tacks. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> If there's brass tacks to be had, we're going to lay them out, which sounds painful, but it's really helpful. <laughs> you know, no growth without pain. Brass 
tax. That's right. Why do we say brass tax? That's a great question. I don't. Why do we say that? Like I, I nitty don't know. gritty, get down to the brass tax. I don't know. Let's Google it. I mean, when you think about brass tax, obviously, like you've got tax, and then they're brass, so that makes you think of something very old. Like we were making tax out of brass originally, but those are some fancy tax. Now I think about it. Okay, I think you. I think I have it. Okay. And you weren't far off by saying old. Right? <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> we don't make a lot of things out of brass anymore. <laughs> we don't. But basically, I guess, wind instruments. <laughs> well, in Tudor furniture from the Tudor age, there were brass-headed nails that were in the fabric fixings and the furniture. And then, so when they would have to reupholster it, they'd have to take it apart, remove all the tacks, the fabric coverings, thus getting down to the oh. basic frame of the chair. Now, that's just one explanation. There's another. So it's an upholstery reference? That's one How theory. How boring is that? No, that's only one theory. Because speaking of Tudor and old, the other what, theory. I don't know what you're talking about when you say Tudor. Like the House of Tudor. I don't know what UK. you're saying when you when you, wow. you can keep saying it, but I don't know what wow. you're talking about. We'll get you a history book later. But the next theory has to do with the haberdashery trade, which I look at how you dress, and I think you should probably be in a haberdashery trade. But the way they were measuring yards of material and holding it out arm's length, they would measure between brass tacks, which were set into a shop's counter to help with measuring different types of fabric. I'm going to name my next pet haberdashery. I love that. Again, relating to the fabric trade, I am becoming less interested in this brass tax thing entirely. So why don't we move on? Let's, let's focus. Okay. Yeah, I, we're talking about anti-nutrients today, but I think important to note is what is meant by an anti-nutrient? It sounds weird. Right? Right. It sounds uh, like an evil villain. It sounds like <laughs> Marvel made up this term. Uh, Marvel infiltrated <laughs> dietetics. So an anti-nutrient is basically something in food uh-huh. That is, it is what it sounds like, right? It's it's acting against the bioavailability of the nutrients in the food. Is that fair to say? That's so, exactly fair to say. Okay, so basically there's, and a lot of them come, we think of them as mostly coming from plant foods. Most. And mm-hmm. there are things in the plant foods that somehow either prevent the absorption of particular nutrients or maybe compete with the absorption, um, maybe bind that nutrient up so that it can't be utilized. All those types of things are considered anti-nutrients and um, maybe even certain circumstances they can cause some some symptoms, some yeah. physiologic response from the host. Correct. And you're talking about plant-based anti-nutrients. And I hearken back to our interview that we did with Paul Saladino when we did the carnivore. You don't want to I hearken back <laughs> to that interview. You have to because it's basically full daily. Full of great information. And he actually was discussing the concept of plants themselves, right? So Well, of course. If if there are plants in the ground, you know, they have no way to defend themselves against animals that are going to come and eat them. So they start to develop ways to repel animals or something from harming them. So the plants have developed an evolutionary way to protect themselves with these things that would make people sick or harm other people who want to eat them. Right. And I think actually what he said is that because plants are rooted in the ground, they don't have a lot of defenses as compared to like an animal that's running away because as... Quote, a lion's not hunting gummy bears, <laughs> is in fact. You have to go back and listen what to that, that episode. It was so great. 
Which is juxtaposed against me, which throughout most of my adult life, I have been hunting gummy bears. That's right, and Skittles and Necco wafers. But mm, when we're talking about kids, yeah. some of oh. these <laughs> anti-nutrients, there are things like oxalates, lectins, yeah. goitrogens, Whoa. phytoestrogens, uh, phytates, tannins. So there's a lot of different categories, but mm. where do you think we should start? Oh, I think we should start with the biggie. Which? I mean, the, the, the one that strikes the most fear in Whoa. most people. The Which, one that keeps people awake at night. The most controversial one? The one that quite literally gives some people cold sweats. Oh, no. Are you talking about lectins? I'm totally talking about lectins, baby. Let's get into <laughs> lectins. And Patty, if you don't mind, can you please lead us into the foods that are probably at the end of the day killing us at, <laughs> at a slow rate, the ones that have the highest amount of lectins in them? Well, I, I have to warn you, these are the killer foods. Of course. We're talking about various vegetables, beans, lentils, peas, soybeans, whole grains like wheat. We're talking about chili, bell peppers, tomatoes, oh, eggplant, oh. various spices like curry. I mean, don't even get me started with berries. I mean, you know, and dairy also killing you. Berries. Obviously berries. I mean, everyone knows to stay away from berries. Right. The one thing that's interesting, though, is a lot of nightshades, mm-hmm. right? I, there's And think about it. We've there's a lot of even like fairy tales and things around like witches brew and using yeah. nightshades and stuff like that. Uh-huh. So nightshades have for a long time been a little bit suspect in uh, our, our understanding of their potential toxicity. But um, okay, so we've got a sense of the foods. A lot of the legumes, nightshades, some other things in there. Mm-hmm. Seeds seem Grains. to be very high yeah. in them. Yep. Um, and so how do lectins do their dirty work? <laughs> well, as we talked about, plants have developed ways to harm something that's going to come eat it. And so they evolutionarily have been able to develop things called lectins, which are actually proteins called hemagglutinins. Hmm. Hemagglutinins? Okay. That <laughs> makes me think that it does something to blood. It does. So you think heme, and you think glutenin, so gluing something together. So Ooh, it, that sounds... It, it clots oh, red no. cells. But it can also clot white blood cells. And what it does is it, it targets carbohydrate binding proteins, and all kinds of things, plants, animals, and microorganisms. And it it reversibly binds to specific cells, causing red blood cells to stick together or white blood cells to stick together. So how quickly does this kill you? I mean, like 15 (laughs) minutes, 30 minutes? Like, how? what should be the time frame here? Well, well, clearly. If I eat a lima bean, (laughs) how quickly should I have the EMS ready? Well, let's just say I had lentil soup for dinner last night, and (laughs) I'm sitting here talking to you. You're a ghost. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, you obviously <laughs> succumbed to lectin poisoning, and now you're, Ooh, <laughs> you're back. I'm here to talk okay, no. about the lectins. <laughs> so warn us all from beyond the grave. So clearly, people eat these foods all the time. We're not dropping like flies. Right. I mean, come on. <laughs> there we go. Come on. I think by what you're when you say come on, what you're saying is that obviously there, so. There's probably a couple other things going on. There's maybe other variables. Yeah, there's more to this story. I mean, clearly we cook food, right? There are things we can do like boil things. I'll tell you. Fermented. Uncooked beans are not very palatable. (laughs) No. And from my understanding, the majority of lectins are cooked out when you cook beans. Is that right? Is that true? That's right. And like many other things, um, the more that you process a particular food, a lot of times the anti nutrients are processed out. Which is part of the reason why we developed a lot of the processing. We probably would not be eating beans if we, had we not developed some sort of technology right. that allowed us to make them, A, palatable, right. and then, B, not toxic. 
Like if, if you eat raw red kidney beans, you're going to get super sick. And you also have probably never cooked in your life because <laughs> that is not something that you would eat. I mean, all you got to do is boil these things. You don't even have to like overtly process them other than boiling them and it denatures some of the lectin and, and reverses that hemagglutinin activity. That's true. I mean, let's take beans, for example. They are, they do take a while to process. I mean, you Fair. can't, like, yeah. if you're going to boil them, you got to boil them, like, mm -hmm. all day. Mm -hmm. Or you got to soak them for 24 hours and then cook them and blah, 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 blah. Part of the reason why beans suck. <laughs> beans are delicious. <laughs> no, they're not. Yes, they are. They're not. This We're, we're back to the potato listen, thing. Listen. A bunch of starchy nonsense that has no flavor. <laughs> Focus, my. The only time I have beans is, like, I have to literally smother them in hot sauce. Well... Which is also high in lectins, I'm sure. <laughs> of course. Because it's nice shades. I think the point is, there are some people who get very, very sick from eating some of these foods. They might have a sensitivity to whatever constituent is part of these foods. The lectin portion often is denatured quickly with any type of boiling, cooking. I mean, microwaving doesn't really destroy them all that much, interestingly. Hmm. A little bit, but not that so much. That is funny because you think yeah. about microwaving and you think like, oh, you shouldn't microwave your food because it denatures every protein in the food. That's like kind of yeah. like the common colloquial idea about microwaving. It's like, you might as well just destroy your food. <laughs> um, right. But that is fascinating. Yeah. I'll say, counterpoint. Go. While it does remove processing and cooking does remove some of the lectins, some of them remain, correct? That's correct. And to be fair, there are some people who do have reactions to lectins. Like they get you know, nausea or bloating and they feel sick. But the question I have for you, is it because of that lectin or is it like a food sensitivity or some type of other cause of IBS that would cause that, like FODMAP foods? No, you know they probably mean? have a cognitive dissonance because they know they shouldn't be eating beans because they're terrible. <laughs> That's fair. No, it's not fair. I, I shouldn't be hating on like every single food that we talk about. why you do that. Uh, it's just fun. Um, but to make a point, lectins, even though there are some remaining... I think we might be a little bit hyperbolic about how much is in there because they're almost entirely destroyed from the cooking process. So, right. for example, raw kidney beans contain 20 to 70,000 hemagglutinin units, right? Right. Cooked ones, 200 to 400, right? So, right. I mean, that's like nine. I, I don't even know the math. The math is so large on that, it's I, I can't do it in my head. Right, right. But then you think... There are, there are some that remained. And really, if you think about when you eat a lectin and these hemagglutinins, they are actually resistant to digestion by enzymes and, and bacteria in your GI tract. And they pass functionally intact into your small intestine where they can start to bind to things. Okay. But that being said, what they're saying is it can cause increased intestinal permeability. Some people get various symptoms from them. But I'm going to tell you this. A lot of that is just anecdotal from people given their symptoms. Most of the studies are in animal studies or in Petri dishes using isolated lectin molecules. Okay. And I'm assuming if you're doing that, that's a very high concentration. Mm -hmm. And so what, what you're saying is there's not really a good mechanistic model that demonstrates low levels of lectin from processed legumes or what have you mm -hmm. actually going and creating intestinal permeability. Have we seen any sort of studies doing like an intestinal permeability no, test? Incredibly, incredibly rare. In fact, all the clinical human trials around lectins are using that isolated, very concentrated molecule of lectin. And to be clear, a lot of the human studies are showing that they have some positive benefits. What? All right. Two things. Go. If you're out there and you're 
basically sure that lectins are killing people slowly uh-huh. and causing intestinal permeability, feel free to send your CV to podcast at gdx.net <laughs> and we can do a study where we look at intestinal permeability mm-hmm. based on lectin consumption because that would be fascinating. It would. And some of the studies that they're doing le- with lectins, to your point, is really high concentrations, which is far less than it, you're eating in any food, that after preparation is even less and less than that. What, it, about, what about tomatoes? Okay, because let's get real. Okay. Out of all these things, nightshades are the most delicious. <laughs> I'm, well, gonna, I'm not going to argue. It. Tomatoes are basically the bedrock of my diet. And so how many lectins am I getting on a regular basis? Okay, it's actually the tomato skin and the tomato seeds that have lectins. And earlier you were, you know, you were quoting something in the thousands of mm-hmm. HAU program. Yeah, like 70,000. Yeah, this is 26. 26 to um, 800-ish HAUs per gram. Now, that being said, most times things like tomatoes are consumed raw. And even when they're boiling them, the lectins aren't being removed. But it's evident. People eat these all the time. And nobody seems to have overt general adverse health effects. So they're thinking that things like potatoes and tomato lectins are known to be non-toxic. That's, so they're hypothesizing that these lectins are not that bad. In, in my head, I know there are different types of lectins, like some that are hemagglutinin towards red cells, some are towards white cells, but is that what differentiates whether a lectin is toxic or not, or is it other constituents within that food? I think we run into problems with uh, too many variables mm-hmm. because we're talking about one particular constituent within a food, right? Mm-hmm. And we're trying to define whether that particular quote-unquote anti-nutrient is causing symptoms when, in fact, a food like a tomato has a gazillion, quite literally, uh, constituents in it, right? And Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of things within tomato that can be inflammatory, can be anti-inflammatory, can be antioxidant, like lycopene, which is also in the skin. Incredibly healthy, yes. Right? So we can't, uh, when we try to boil things, pun intended, Mm -hmm. down to- down to one particular constituent, it becomes very problematic. Now, if you do in vitro studies and you try to see this one thing, you know, you can maybe glean a little bit of insight, but we're talking about high, 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 high levels that are toxic, like the various people that nearly died from red kidney bean poisoning in the 70s and 80s. But it also brings me back to a concept that you harp on all the time when we talk about herbs and plants, Mm -hmm. where it's like, okay, this one little piece of the plant might be harmful, but if you eat that plant in its totality, there might be other constituents that counteract it. Yeah, I mean, it could be. Like, let's face it. There are a lot of foods throughout our history that we have had to deal with because they have anti-nutrients. They have toxic plant chemicals in them. And part of our long-standing cultivation process has been to develop crops and food and agriculture that more and more is palatable, is edible, and removes a lot of these toxins. Now, does that mean that there aren't any in there? No. Does that mean that they couldn't theoretically be causing some physiologic harm? Not really. However, they are a food. Mm -hmm. They provide us sustenance, and in a lot of cases, they provide us a ton of nutrition. So at the end of the day, I think if we're trying to answer this question logically between, oh my gosh, you have to avoid lectins at all particular cost and plant chemicals are destroying our lives, or we should only be eating plants because they're the best thing God ever made. Extreme. Very extreme. Right. Come on. At the end of the day, when we rotate our foods... We tend to deal with these things in various concentrations. We tend to give our microbiome and our system and our enzymes plenty of opportunity 
to interact with these things and to compensate from those things. And I think one of the things that's important is that the human system is probably more adept than any system at being able to detoxify a huge amount of different chemicals from our foods, whether they be plant or even agricultural, right? Yep. And I think much like every time we discuss diets and nutrition on this podcast, we come to the place of everybody calm down, right? Why do we got to get so extreme? There's likely somewhere to meet in the middle. And I think that's exactly what you just pointed out, Michael. I think it was very well said. And I think, so we tend to confuse things because it's probably not what we should be focusing on from a, the lectins, I mean. It's not mm-hmm. what we should be focusing on. If somebody's reacting to a food, they're most likely reacting to not the lectins per se, but some sort of protein or combination of proteins, epitopes within that yep. food. They've developed a sensitivity to it. Mm-hmm. They probably need to spend some time away from that particular food or food group. And that's where something like an elimination diet or food sensitivity testing, IgG testing, is going to give you a lot more insight rather than being worried about a particular plant constituent. Correct. And I'm going to take this even further, if I may. We talked earlier about how all of the studies are with these isolated, very high concentrated lectins. And in some of the research that's happening both in humans and in various animals, they're actually showing some really positive health benefits, things like anti-cancer, boosting immune activity. They're also antimicrobial. They're good for insulin resistance. So in isolation, and if they're using them in a very targeted way, they're doing research that is showing that these can actually be incredibly beneficial. Now, we have to make, I think, the same caveat. I assume that's somewhat of an in vitro study that's happening, right? And so is the long-term application of that, the dose dependency of that is going to be in question as well. Mm -hmm. But it does lend a little bit of support to the idea of hermesis where you have a little bit of the thing that might be causing a problem and it stimulates your endogenous production of antioxidants and protective mechanisms that will fight it. And I think in all things, beware of the extremes and always realize that there's more to every story. Don't vilify a nutrient. Just vilify foods like kidney beans because they taste like trash. Whoa. Garbage. Wow. Next time on The Lab Report, Anti-Nutrients Part 2, Phytoestrogens. Plant estrogens. Are they good? Are they bad? Are there benefits? Are there risks? Don't get me started on tofu. (laughs) You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. Well, I guess we just sit back and wait for the email and feedback from like the National Kidney Bean Foundation or the yeah. American farmers that are actually farming kidney beans. Big fans of the show, I'm sure. They're I'm all sure listening. they love hearing about biochemistry. <laughs> In fact, did you know, that reminds me, I was going to tell you, did you know that The Lab Report is the fastest growing podcast in the agricultural space? In Winnipeg? That's right.